Christchurch, New Malden, Sunday the 6th of November 2022, 9.30 service. Stephen Kurt speaking on Things Jesus Came to Bring Us, Freedom. Okay, well, freedom and truth. Freedom and truth, two words that receive very different responses from our culture today. So let's take the word freedom. Freedom remains really popular, doesn't it? Think of the numerous films that have been made down the years with freedom as its central theme. Now, here are a few coming up on the screen. Just a few. There are loads that I could have put up there. Loads of films which have as a central theme the quest, the search for freedom. And they keep being produced. Some of them go quite a way back to the 60s uh, and before that, the Shawshank Redemption from the 90s, but there are more recent films I could have included as well. They show what a popular theme freedom is. But it's not just films. Not long ago, a book was published telling the story of Harry and Meghan leaving the life of working royals. And what was it called? It was entitled Finding Freedom. So freedom, the idea of being set free from the things that oppress us, it's still, and it probably always will be, an incredibly popular idea. But what about truth? Truth, unlike freedom, is much less in favour today. Truth used to be a really popular concept, particularly in an age when people thought that all of the new discoveries in science and medicine were going to solve the world's problems. That was the era that was known as modernism. People at that time, a couple of hundred years ago, and more recently as well, were more than happy to talk about truth. But that confidence in talking about truth, it's now long gone. The culture that we live in today is overwhelmingly dominated by what is called postmodernism. Postmodernism is the culture that now dominates, and it's a culture that says that we should be deeply suspicious of anyone making universal claims about truth. So it's okay to talk about what is true for you, it's more than okay to tell your own story, but if you make any claims about truth, beyond that, if you make any claims about truth that apply to everyone, you're immediately tended to be seen as oppressive and actually a threat to other people's freedom. So freedom and truth are two things that in our culture sit very uncomfortably alongside each other. And yet within that passage that we had read to us by Jane earlier, Jesus does precisely that, doesn't he? Let's look at part of the words that Jesus said. If you hold to my teaching, Jesus says, you really are my disciples, that's fine. But what about the next bit? Then you will know the truth, the truth, and the truth will set you free. Freedom and the truth revealed by him, Jesus says, belong totally together. It's a message that really couldn't be more discordant with our culture. So how are we to understand it, let alone live by it, in a world that has got so much resistance, particularly in the West, to precisely that sort of claim? Well, it's a statement that is explained, actually, by the rest of that passage from John's Gospel. 
Now, it's not everyone's favourite bit of the New Testament because it contains quite a lot of language that's rather off-putting. As it was read earlier, there may have been a few of you wincing at the language that that passage contains. But if we work hard to understand it, I think we'll see that it's making some crucial points about the relationship between freedom and truth. So we're going to explore this passage a little bit more this morning. And really, the first important point it makes is this. No one who sins is free, but they're actually a slave. When Jesus says to his Jewish hearers that if they hold to his teaching, they'll know the truth, and the truth will set them free, they are really annoyed with him. We're Abraham's descendants, they say. We've never been slaves of anyone. How can you therefore say that we shall be set free? Now, at first sight, those words are a little bit odd, aren't they? Because the whole of Israel's faith was based on the fact that they once were slaves in Egypt, and God rescued them through the Red Sea. You'll be aware of that story. And at that point in their history, when Jesus was amongst them, the Jews were essentially slaves once again under the Romans. That's why they longed for a Messiah to come and rescue them. So why were they annoyed at this statement about them being slaves? Well, I think the only answer can be that they knew that when Jesus spoke these words, he was referring to something deeper. And Jesus confirmed this by speaking about their slavery to sin. And rather shockingly, Jesus says that rather than being Abraham's children or even God's children, the Jews that he was speaking to were children of the devil. And he describes the devil as a murderer and a liar and the father of lies. Now it is, as I say, rather shocking and off-putting language. Even though we've just had Halloween and perhaps you had a few little devils calling at your door. Did you have anyone like that call at your door on Monday? Even though we get used to it on that level, we're generally uncomfortable talking about the devil today, aren't we? Let alone all of that strange language about him being a murderer and a liar and the father of lies. So what was Jesus saying when he said those words? What was he trying to explain? Well, the key, I believe, is recognising how everything that Jesus ascribes to the devil represents the opposite to God. So hopefully this will make it clear. God, according to Jesus, is the creator. And therefore God is the source of all life. All life that exists and the quality of that life, it all comes from God. And God is therefore also the one who uniquely speaks the truth about life. He speaks words that enable life in all its fullness to be understood and to be experienced. But alongside this, Jesus says, there's a force of evil that exists within the world. A quasi-personal force, sometimes known as the devil, not always known, as the devil actually. Sometimes the Bible just talks about evil or the powers of darkness. It doesn't always personify it in this way. That's why I put it in inverted commas. But the, alongside the goodness and the life coming from God, 
Jesus says, is this force of evil that exists within the world, sometimes known as the devil, that stands in opposition to the life that comes from God. That's bad enough, but it also speaks lies, Jesus says. It speaks lies. It says words that claim to bring life, but instead bring the opposite of life, namely death. Now, that might seem a bit strange. It might seem a bit off-putting. It might seem completely unrelated to anything that we can experience. But I think if we allow ourselves to think about it this morning, we'll see that strange while it sounds, it does reflect our human experience. See, this world is full of good things that God made, fairly obviously, isn't it? This world is full of wonderful things that God made for our enjoyment. They're everywhere, and most of us thankfully experience them on a regular basis. But alongside all of that goodness, there's a voice within all of us that whispers to us that if we place those good things at the centre of our life, if we give them absolute priority, then they'll give us that fullness of life and that freedom that we seek. Now, that's what the Bible calls idolatry. Idolatry is taking good things that God has made, and everything that God made is good, but idolatry is taking good things that God made and placing them at the centre of our life so that we can receive the fullness of life and the freedom that these things appear to promise us. But the problem is that it's all a lie. Give ourselves to created things, whether it's money, possessions, work, status, creative pursuits, success or relationships. Give ourselves fully to those things, place them at the centre of our lives, place them above the God who created them in importance, and those things actually enslave us. They enslave us rather than giving us the freedom that they appear to promise. Now, I say appear to promise because none of these good things themselves promise that. It's that voice that whispers to us that if we place them at the centre of our lives, they will bring us freedom. And rather than bringing us life in all its fullness, worship of created things, whatever they are and however good they are, Worship of those things, placing them at the centre of our lives, gradually and slowly and subtly, because that's all part of the deceit, actually brings us the very opposite of life. And that's what Jesus is talking about in this passage. That, Jesus says, is the predicament within which all human beings find ourselves. Barking up the wrong tree constantly when it comes to the freedom that we seek. We're desperate for freedom, we're desperate for fullness of life, but very often we're barking up the wrong tree in where we're seeking that from. And we're often buying in to a pack of lies that rather than lead to freedom, instead lead us into slavery. Now, by itself, that would be a pretty depressing message, wouldn't it? If I said, right, that's the end of the sermon and sat down, you'd all be pretty glum. Fortunately, that is not all that Jesus has to say, because he goes on in this passage to say this. True freedom, authentic freedom, the genuine article, the real McCoy, it's found through God's Son. 
Human beings are in slavery, Jesus says, but freedom is available through him. And this is part of the way he explains it. Jesus says, now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. What's the logic there? Well, the logic is that just as the devil, this force of evil in the world, is the father of lies, so Jesus, because he's the son of God, speaks the truth that he has seen in his father's presence. Jesus is so close to the father, the creator, that he speaks the authentic truth about life, the truth that can set us free. Jesus' oneness with the Father, a big theme of John's Gospel, the creator and the sole source of life, means that Jesus is the only one who can bring us that genuine freedom, that genuine fullness of life that we seek. So that's the theology. It is quite a dense passage, but when we get to grips with it, that's what I think it is saying. But what, of course, does it mean for us, the crucial question? It means that the only path to the freedom that we all seek is by holding on to the teaching of Jesus rather than the lies that our culture presents to us. That might seem quite a strong statement, but I believe we are surrounded by lies. Every time we switch on our televisions, for instance, we're promised that we can find freedom. If you watch Good Morning Britain, as I do, most of you with proper jobs probably have to get out before, but I'm able to watch a bit of Good Morning Britain in the morning. And every half hour or so, it's competition time with that Andy guy, I forget his surname, telling us we have to be in it to win it. And basically the message is that utter freedom, fullness of life can come our way if only we join in with this competition. And then when that's not being advertised, there's the Omey's million pound draw with that woman who's got that remarkable way of describing it. And again, that's making much the same message. Virtually all of the adverts we see are making the same promise to us. Freedom, fullness of life, if we only are able to get that thing that they're advertising. The rest of that fullness of life that surrounds that advert will come with it. The constant emphasis on celebrity within our culture has a very similar message. But it's only through remaining in Jesus and listening to his words, Jesus claims, that we can get the right perspective on this rather than being swept along with it. It's only through remaining in Jesus that we're able to see through all of this, to see that actually it is lies rather than buying into it and to recognise that the only source of freedom is found through being joined to the only one through whom life comes, to Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. The crucial point being made is that God is the only creator. Life only comes from God. And when we're joined to Jesus, we're tapping into that source of life, and it doesn't come from any other source even though these things constantly present themselves as able to be life-giving. We have to be savvy. We have to be switched on. We have to be able to decode this. 
not sit there as I'm tempted to do in the morning, half asleep with a cup of coffee, soaking it all up and half thinking, oh, well, I wouldn't mind a great big house in Cornwall or wherever it is. A few weeks ago, I went on a reunion of a summer camp that I used to attend as a teenager. Most summers, I went off to a place in Limpsfield to a Christian summer camp. My parents packed me off to it, and I'm really glad they did because it was transforming of my life. And it was run by a super posh guy, probably the poshest person I've ever met, called Kenneth Habersham. He'd uh, talk like that the whole time. Very posh but a lovely guy. Funnily enough, his father was the vicar of this church between 1935 and 1944, Willoughby Habersham. But Kenneth Habersham ran these camps uh, for years, for 30 years, from 1962 to 1992. And they were transforming, not just for my life, but loads and loads of other teenagers. But when I went on this reunion uh, around about a month ago, I was reminded of an illustration that Kenneth Habersham would use to challenge us teenagers on whether we were allowing Jesus to be in charge of our life. And I'd forgotten uh, this illustration. And the the evangelist J. John, who also went on those camps, uh, he reminded us all of this illustration that Ken would use. And what he'd say to us, we were sitting there as a bunch of rough 1980s teenagers, He would say to us, imagine that your life is like a car. An 80s car wouldn't have looked like that, but that's the best I could do. And Ken would say to us, if Jesus is traveling with you in the car of your life, that's great, that's terrific. But he'd then say, where is he in that car? Is Jesus just in the boot so that you can take him uh, out on Sundays and take him into church with you? Perhaps Jesus is a bit more than that. Perhaps Jesus, he would suggest, is sitting on the back seat, meaning that as you drive that car, you can occasionally talk to him and ask him things. But perhaps he's more than that. Perhaps he's sitting in the front of that car, alongside you as you drive, being regularly listened to, but with you still in the driving seat. Making Jesus the Lord of your life, Kenneth Habersham would say to us on those summer camps, is about allowing Jesus to be driving the car of our life with us alongside him. Now, it's not a perfect illustration because we are given a responsibility under God for driving the car of our life, but it does make its point quite well. It makes the point that Jesus can be present within our life without really being in charge of it. To put it another way, it's very possible for us to welcome Jesus into our life as Saviour without really welcoming him into our life as Lord. And if Jesus isn't Lord of our life, what it means is that we miss out on a great deal of the freedom that only comes through him. It's one of the reasons we're having this series, because there's so much more that Jesus wants to give us. Forgiveness is wonderful, forgiveness for our sins, but often our understanding of the Christian faith can rather stop there. We receive God's forgiveness, we're grateful for that, but Jesus wants to bring us far more than that. He wants to bring us fullness of life. He wants to bring us real, authentic freedom. And it's only when we make Jesus the Lord of our life that that freedom can start to flow in our life. So think about your life for a moment and think about the created things 
within your life that you most value. They're all good things. Might be your home. Might be your family. Might be your holidays. Might be something like football, particularly with the World Cup coming up. It might actually be work. They are all to emphasise good things. Utterly good things created by God to bless us. But if we place any of those things without exception at the centre of our lives, if we make any of those things without exception into an idol, it gradually starts to enslave us. How does it enslave us? Well, if we take any one of those things and make them absolutely central, like all idols, it demands sacrifices from other parts of our life. Idolatry always does this. Idols always say, sacrifice other good things in order to get that thing you really, really want. And that is the way that it gets us. That's the way that it manages to twist something good into something that starts to enslave us as an idol. And it's all based on this lie. It's all based on this lie that whispers to us if we just make that thing absolutely central, if we sacrifice everything else to that, we will get that freedom, that fullness of life that it appears to promise. But the really tragic thing is that it's all a lie. It never actually works. We make all of those sacrifices, we sacrifice all those other good things. A classic example might be work, where we want to achieve, we want to do really well, so we sacrifice time with the family, we sacrifice perhaps some of the things we used to enjoy. We make that the absolute centre, and the tragedy is that not only do we lose all those other things that we sacrifice, but it doesn't even deliver on the thing that it promises anyway, because that fulfilment, that freedom, never actually arrives. That's the lie at the heart of it all. Worship created things however good they are, and they always end up controlling and enslaving us rather than setting us free. But place Jesus at the centre of our lives, and the very opposite will be true. The truth that Jesus proclaimed is that freedom and life in all its fullness can only come through a relationship with the sole source of life, the Creator God, through His Son. Then you will know the truth, Jesus says, and the truth will set you free. And the really fantastic thing is that this freedom, this fullness of life, can then be experienced precisely through all of those good things that God gave to bless us. Let's have them up there again. Those same things that when we make into idols curse us and enslave us, when we place God through Jesus at the centre of our lives, everything good that God created can become a channel of his blessing. Those things, when we place them above God, enslave us. When we place them below him, they all can become sacramental. In other words, they can all become a channel of his blessing, of the freedom in Christ, of the life in all its fullness that God intends us to receive through his Son. Why? because we're not placing them under a pressure that they were never built, they were never given to have. It's because we've restored those things to their proper place as good things given to us by a good creator God in order to bless us. So whereabouts might be the challenge for us this morning? 
whereabouts in our lives, and of course we're all in different situations, so it will probably be different for each one of us, but where might we be looking for freedom? Where might we be looking for life in all its fullness? Through something really good, but which we're in danger of making into an idol by placing it above God. Can we recognise, if we're honest with ourselves, any signs that that idol is already enslaving us rather than bringing the freedom it promises? Can we recognise at all the sacrifice of other good things in our life that that idol has been demanding? If that's so, what's the answer? The answer is to come before God humbly and in repentance, acknowledging that the life and freedom that we seek can only come through him, through his son. Restoring Jesus as Lord of our life and resolving to build our life around his teaching. And as I say, that's the path to all of those good things that God has given, becoming a blessing to us, a channel of his freedom. Let's have those crucial words up again. If you hold to my teaching, Jesus says, you really are my disciples, my followers, my learners then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, doing this is not easy. Place Jesus at the centre of our lives rather than created things, and it will get a reaction from those around us. And there are several explanations for this. In human terms, people won't like it when they see us living by a different agenda to the one that makes most sense to them. It will be discordant, particularly in a suburb like ours. But the deeper explanation for why it will be difficult is because a spiritual battle will be going on between truth and lies. Jesus says a lot in this passage about his opponents trying to kill him, doesn't it? And it's because Jesus represented with such fullness the truth about how to live. And when that happens, when someone is standing up so strongly for the authentic truth of how to live, the powers that want to enslave us won't like it, and they'll react. And it was those very forces of evil that eventually succeeded in putting Jesus on the cross. Let's have a picture of Jesus on the cross. I think it's the next one. But they didn't ultimately succeed, did they? They didn't succeed because the truth that Jesus represented resulted in God raising him from the dead. And that's because the supreme truth that characterised Jesus was self-giving love. The very same love through which God created the world and therefore the source from which all life comes. We all know that love is the most authentic thing and yet we're tempted to forget this. And love is the opposite of idolatry because love makes living in the world all about self-giving to others rather than self-gaining at their expense. And therefore, love represents the greatest path to the freedom and fullness of life that we seek. Self-giving love alongside faith and hope is the supreme truth that Jesus calls us to live by. And incidentally, to go back to where I started this morning, it provides the definitive answer, definitive answer to those claims of postmodernism. Those claims that any uh, claim about universal truth are simply a bid for power and control. If the supreme truth that we're living by is self-giving love, it shows that that is not the case. So freedom and truth. 
words that our culture no longer sees as compatible. But as the wedding service says, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Jesus didn't just come, as I said earlier, to bring us forgiveness for our sins. He came to bring us that fullness of life that comes from being set free from what idolatry does to us. We're surrounded by lies in our culture probably more than at any other time in this world's history about the path to fullness of life. And living within the culture that we do, it's hard not to go with the flow on this. But the answer is found by allowing Jesus to drive the car of our life and to hear and obey the words of the one who knows all about life because he comes from the Father, the Creator's presence. Let's have those words up one last time. If you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples, then you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free.